Coming today on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung. This person is not going to change. They cannot re- be rehabilitated. It's like if a limb was cut off and, and you know, you can't put a new one on there. I mean, it's not going to grow. I mean, you could, you could get a fake one or whatever, but it, it, there's not going to be a new one that grows. And it's just the same thing. They can't grow empathy. They can't grow care. They, 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 can, they can fake it. I mean, they certainly know how they're supposed to behave, but it doesn't mean they actually feel it. So the big questions are these. How can we navigate and negotiate every situation in our lives, in our career, in our businesses, in our relationships, and even with ourselves for our own self-worth? In other words, what if you could win every time and have no losers? Let's face it, we're not negotiating just to buy a car or for a pay raise. We are negotiating for living in every aspect of our lives. How can we do that powerfully, successfully, and victoriously? Those are the questions, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Rebecca Song, and welcome to the time where you negotiate your best life. Welcome to another episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung. In this episode, we are going to be tackling how to know if a narcissist is done with you. You you know, you don't want them to come back, right? I mean, so how do you know if they're going to be coming back? We're going to be talking about that today. And I also want to make sure that each one of you has gotten my brand new book, SlayTheBully.com, or sorry, Slay the Bully, How to Negotiate with a Narcissist and Win, which you can get at slaythebully.com. And because it is such an important topic, I've made the entire manuscript available, even though it doesn't officially come out until October 3rd. But if you pre-order it, you will get the whole book right away. Not only will you get the whole book right away, but you get early access to all kinds of really cool things like my private launch team, a masterclass, and a workbook, all kinds of really cool things. So make sure that you go to slaythebully.com and get your access to all of that. Because it is such an important topic, I wanted you to have access to all of that as my community. So now let's talk about how to know if a narcissist is done with you. Let's go. So you've had a narcissist in your life. You've been through the three stages, the love bombing, the devaluing, the discarding. And now you want to know, are they actually done? Am I actually free? How do I know that they're going to come back? Or how can I actually get done with them? I've had to deal with the same thing. I know that the crazy making that they do in your head and, and the spiraling that it causes you. And by the way, if that's where you are right now and you need some self-care, make sure to check out my video on self-care to cope with narcissists because you do need to take care of yourself and you do need to learn how to pivot your brain. You do need to learn how to get out of that 
thought process, the, 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 what they do to you, that trauma bonding, um, because they really do know how to mess with the neuronal patterns in your brain. And creating new neuronal patterns can be uh, hard to do, but it is certainly not impossible. Many, many, many people have escaped the clutches of narcissists. And if anybody else can do it, you can certainly do it too. You are certainly not alone. And um, there are many, many people who have had to deal with narcissists. The, the, the statistics are actually pretty crazy. I mean, there are something like, um, like 6% of the population is either a narcissist or displays narcissistic traits. And another 3.3% of the population is actually, um, lacks a conscience or has some other pathological disorder, which causes them to not have any care, uh, or compassion for others, which means we're talking about close to one in 10 of people that we're dealing with in the on the planet. And if each one of those people narcissistically abuses five people in their lifetimes, we're talking about most all of us on the planet have had to deal with a toxic personality and try to figure out how to get out of this situation. It's a huge percentage of us. And, and by the way, not only are you not alone, the other message that I really want you to get is that narcissists don't attach themselves to you because you have no value. Yes, they devalue you. Yes, they eventually try to make you feel like you're so lucky to be in their presence and, you know, and you, there's, you know, so, something wrong with you and all of the things that they try to get you to feel. But the bottom line is they only attach themselves to forms of supply that have value. So they attach themselves to you because you have so much value. That's the, the really ironic thing. They love bomb you and then they start devaluing you. And the devalue stage, by the way, is where they're kind of taking back their investment. That love bombing was really just an investment in their uh, mind in order to, you know, start taking out the um, you know, the deposits start, start actually cashing them in. Okay. So, um, and if you want to know more about the three stages of a narcissistic relationship, the love bomb to value discard, I have a series on that and we'll make sure to drop links to those videos below. You should definitely go check them out. If you're not really familiar with the different stages of a narcissistic relationship, but how do you know when they're done with you? There's only going to be two reasons that they're ever going to be done with you. And the first one is that they are no longer getting any form of supply from you whatsoever. Because as long as they are getting narcissistic supply from you, meaning you're feeding their ego in some way, and most of the time, the way you continue to feed their ego is they think that they can come back and 
intimidate you in some way or make you crazy or make you pay attention to them uh, or make you scared. Uh, all of those reasons are reasons that are great reasons for them to continue to be in your space. Narcissists collect their people for forms of supply and they keep them like in their supply closet for when they may need to pull it out to get more supply. And it, I mean, it's almost like, you know, when you're at the bottom of the peanut butter jar and there's still like a little bit left in there and they're scraping the bottom. If there's even that left to get out of you, to scrape out of you, to squeeze out of you some little form of supply, they're coming back. They're coming back to get it. They still smell it like they like sharks smell blood in the water. So as long as they can come back to you, they still smell that blood in the water like those sharks, they'll come back to you and try to get that supply out of you. So that's number one. So the, the only way that you can get them to stop, by the way, is either creating very steel boundaries, super strong boundaries, or... Um, going completely no contact. And I understand that some of you can't go completely no contact. Maybe you have children together. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's somebody it's, you know that you can't get rid of. But you can uh, put down boundaries that allows you to continue to have peace of mind and, and protect yourself from that negative energy seeping into your space and also protects yourself from being triggered because they know how to push your buttons. Narcissists are actually very masterful at reading people. They really do know what it is that will upset you, what it is that will trigger you and get you to be emotional. So by not giving them the supply of letting them see you be emotional, then again, you're cutting off that source of supply. The less supply that you can give them, the more peace that you will have in your life because they'll, they, they'll stop coming back, you know, slithering back to, to find their little source of supply. If, if, um, if there's no supply to be had from you, okay? So the next reason that they will be done with you is if they found a source of supply that is completely uh, replacing you as a source of supply, or maybe it's a better form of supply. I know in my situation, um, one of the, the narcissists that I had to deal with was in a business setting, and that particular person found somebody else that they thought would be a better source of supply for them, and I was like, yes, please, please go find that new source of supply. Goodbye. I mean, and they thought that they were like, you know, making it uh, like I was going to be so upset or whatever. And, and that's the beautiful thing. That's when you know you've really beaten the narcissist, by the way. And if you want to know more about when you've beaten the narcissist, please check out my video on when you've beaten the narcissist. So if they find a source of supply that's going to be better for them, or they think somehow it like makes them look better, or they can get you know, more value out of that, um, then off they will go. And good riddance, you know, no give backs, right? I mean, the, don't be jealous. Don't be upset. Just be like, thank God I got that person out of my life because 
There are plenty of people on this planet, the other nine out of 10, that are way better for you and, and, and actually can lift you up and make you feel, when you're, after you're done being with them, you feel empowered, you feel inspired, you feel good, you feel happy. I mean, if you're with somebody and that person is giving you anxiety all the time, that is not a good person to have in your space. And life is really too short. It just is. You do not need to live with negativity in your space. And that's what I teach you how to do is get out of these relationships, actually negotiate negotiate your way out of this relationship so that you can actually end up with an equitable result and move on with your life. So what happens when that narcissist is done with you? The thing is that narcissists see things in black and white. You're either for them or you're against them. I mean, honestly, when when things go downhill, you become public enemy number one. Whether it's you doing the discarding or them doing the discarding, you are now public enemy number one. You're taking that supply away from them. So it's going to be this war, all right? So they want to save their ego, all right, so that's what's happening there. You're taking away that supply, so they don't want to be exposed. Now becomes this game of war, right? So the first thing that they're going to do, if possible, I mean, one of the things that they may do when they're done with you is they might just treat you like a total stranger. So if they if they see you out in public. They may just like totally ignore you, you know, walk by you like they've never even met you before. Because especially if they think that that's going to really, really hurt you, they know what your Achilles heel is. They know how to hurt you. They know how to get under your skin. They know what your trigger points are. So if they know that that's one of those things that's really going to cause you pain, then that's something that they will definitely do. Completely walk by you, completely treat you like a total stranger. So that's one of the things that a narcissist may do when they are done with you. Another thing that a narcissist may do when they are done with you is treat you with total and absolute discuss like and punish you as much as possible. And by the way, this will be even if you did absolutely everything for them, gave them everything, gave them your life, showed them absolutely everything, no matter what, whether it was business, whether it was personal, and you're over there going, wow, I did everything for you. What about this? What about that? Look at all this stuff that I did for you. I divorce law for a really long time. And I, I know how many times I sat through conversations with clients who said, I did all of these things for this spouse. I put them through medical school. I supported them through this. I did that. Or even in business, you know, I mean, I know for myself, I was a business partner with a narcissist and I did <laughs> Absolutely everything, you know, because narcissists are inherently lazy and it doesn't matter. 
They will punish you to the ends of the earth. And they'll go around and tell everybody that they did everything and that you were horrible to them and they were the victim. They will show complete disgust toward you. And they have no shame, no scruples, and no conscience about it. They'll put you in jail, whatever it is that they need to do to punish you for it. That's another thing a narcissist will do when they're done with you. Another thing a narcissist will do when they're done with you is act like you destroyed it all and it's all your fault. And tell everybody that that was all your fault and that you destroyed everything and then try to make you feel guilty for it. And then the crazy thing is after they do all of that, then they'll say, but if you want to continue in the relationship, here's how you know you can continue to do that. Even after they've done all of this like horrible stuff toward you. But if you want to continue in the relationship, here's how you can continue to do that. I remember this happened in my business situation. It was like after all this like horrible stuff, it was like, but here's how you can continue in this relationship. And I was like thinking, I don't even want to see your face ever. Like, I don't even ever want to hear your name. They're so delusional, but yet that's what they say. And by the way, it's during this discard phase that you see the birth of the smear campaign. And sometimes it's even long before the discard phase. And I do have an entire video on how you can shut down the smear campaign. You definitely do want to check that out. Check out that video on how to shut down the smear campaign. Okay, number four. Number four is they will pretend like they're happy with whoever their new supply is, whoever that is. And they're going to hope that they got better supply or whatever it seems like is perceived to be better supply than you because they want to make it seem like they've moved on and they've moved on to better supply than you. And they're going to pretend like they're so much happier with their next form of supply and try to rub it in your face in any way that they can through their flying monkeys, through social media, through third parties in whatever way possible, or sending you emails, sending you pictures, sending you texts through your kids in whatever way possible to make it seem like they are so much happier without you or even tell you in person. Look at me so much better off and so much happier and in such a better place without you. And then the next thing is just absolutely going after you with everything that they have with full force, full on in every way possible using the court system, using people themselves, every form of communication, The kids, absolutely everything they've got. Police, whatever they can to punish you, to use their animosity, their disrespect to be as brutal and horrible as possible, to punish you and go after you in every possible way. 
And so that's the last thing that they'll do. And depending on how malignant and horrible they do, they are, they may stalk you. I mean, whatever it is that they need to do, uh, fraudulent charges, say that you were a child molester or whatever. I've seen that. Say that you beat your wife or husband, you know, I mean, just about anything I've seen. So that's the last thing that they may do. That's, you know, super unfortunate. But I mean, if they're a covert narcissist and they want to appear like they're fine, upstanding people in the community, they don't generally tend to go the stalking route or things like that because they don't want to get arrested. But they will definitely line up flying monkeys and they will lie to people and things like that. I mean, they will use gaslighting and they will go as far under the radar as they possibly can. They will definitely try to make it look like they are the victim of you. 100% they will do that, 100%. But they will just go about it in a different way. That's for sure. So this is part three of a three-part series on the relationship with a narcissist and the phases of a relationship with a narcissist. So the three phases of a relationship with a narcissist are the love bombing phase. And you're going to want to go check out that video. And then the devalue phase. Today, we're going to be talking about the discard phase. And the discard phase is where you're kind of ending this relationship with a narcissist, and it could be that you're ending it or they're ending it. So just remember that the three phases of a narcissistic relationship don't happen in linear format. And it's not a timeline. It's not like, okay, now we're in the love bomb phase. Oh, done. Now we're in the discard phase. Oh, or now we're in the devalue phase. Oop, done. Now we're in the discard phase. It's, it's, they kind of are all happening at the same time. And you can be, you know, being discarded while you're being devalued and love bomb while you're being devalued and on and on like that. And so it's really important to understand that, yes, they basically happen in linear fashion. You always start with the love bomb. You always end with the discard. But in between there, they're kind of all mixed together and it's kind of a Venn diagram that overlaps with each other. So they start off with the love bombing, this overwhelming, I'm perfect for you and whatever they need to do to get you into their layer of control. It's all about control because narcissists inside have no no sense of inner value. They have to derive all of their value from the external. And as I've said in many of my videos, they're like that hollow chocolate Easter bunny. They have no sense of internal value. They have no empathy, no care for other people. They really just have one thing that they want all the time. And that is narcissistic supply. And they need an endless amount of supply. You're basically feeding a beast, feeding a black hole. It never ends, never ends, never ends. And where do they get that supply? They get that, that supply from the people around them. So they literally are sucking supply from people. And that's why sometimes they're called energy vampires 
or sometimes they're called parasites or leeches because they literally leave their supply source feeling completely drained. They're draining the life out of you. They're like vampires that are sucking blood from you, sucking the life force out of you. And how do they do that? Through this narcissistic supply. They need an endless amount of supply. So the whole reason they love bomb you in the first place, the whole reason you were even targeted in the first place is for their oxygen source, which is really that supply. So they've love bombed you, they've devalued you, all in a, all to get control over you. It's all about getting that control over you. Um, and now you're into the, the discard phase. And the discard phase can be you deciding you don't wanna be with this person anymore, or it may be that they don't wanna have a relationship with you anymore. But regardless of how it takes place, it's going to be your fault. And they have to make it look like your fault because they want to look good to the rest of the world. And when you're dealing with a narcissist, the one thing you've gotta remember is that you're either for them or you're against them. You're either in their world and, and providing adulation and supply and value to them, or if you no longer have value to them, then you no longer have value, period. In fact, you become a liability. And so now you're the enemy. You become public enemy number one. And so they're gonna go after you with all guns blazing to make sure that the world knows that it was your fault, your problem, you're the one that's bad. And sometimes they can be setting up this discard phase even before the actual end of your relationship. So, you know, it's in the discard phase that you start to see the birth of the smear campaign. So it, what it might look like is that you know, they might three months or six months before a divorce is filed start to slip little things into friends or neighbors like, oh, I'm so worried about her. I'm so worried about him. You know, they, they're just drinking so much more than they used to. I'm really concerned. You know, and they'll couch it like that so that when the divorce is actually filed or the breakup actually takes place, they can go back and go, well, I told you that this was happening. You know, so it's very, very insidious. It's very toxic and um, very stealth very under the radar. They're super good at being master manipulators. So, you know, the smear campaign can start even before you even realize that there's an impending end to the relationship. So what happens at the end of a relationship sometimes is what we call hoovering, which is where they kind of come back and start to love bomb you again. And, um, you know, it's like during the discard phase because even if you wanted to to the end of the relationship or they did or whatever, they may come back and love bomb you again because they either want to get control back over you just so that they can get the settlement that they want in your case, or maybe they just want to get you away from their lawyer or, you know, or maybe they just really can't stand the fact that you're moving on. Even if they wanted to discard you, maybe they get upset because you're moving on so fast or that you're with somebody else now already. So then they come running back to try to love bomb you again to get you back under their layer of control. It's very insane hideous and sick. They've already messed with your brain. 
So you've already probably got some kind of trauma bonding going on. Meaning what happens is, is if they love bomb to value, love bomb to value, love bomb to value, love bomb discard, love bomb discard, your brain actually releases dopamine levels that cause you to anticipate that you might get this love bomb. So it's not the actual um, love bombing, it's the anticipation that you might get it. And so your brain actually becomes addicted to this person. And love bombing and devaluing and discarding is how they cause you to become actually addicted to being with you and wanting to believe everything they say when they give you empty promises that things are gonna be different or that they're going to change in some way or whatever it is. So you have to be really, really aware of that and really careful of that. And the only way that you can really protect yourself going forward is to just completely go no contact. And sometimes it's not possible because you have children together or whatever, but if that's if you do have children or you maybe the person's a member of your family, then you just have to have the strongest, most steel boundaries that you possibly can so that you can protect yourself from this toxicity. The one thing you need to remember, and it's hard to remember and sometimes very hard to accept, is that this person is not going to change. They cannot be rehabilitated. It's like if a limb was cut off and, and you know you can't put a new one on there. I mean, it's not going to grow. I mean, you could you could get a fake one or whatever, but it, it, there's not going to be a new one that grows. And it's just the same thing. They can't grow empathy. They can't grow care. They 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 can, they can fake it. I mean, they certainly know how they're supposed to behave, but it doesn't mean they actually feel it. There's just something broken inside of their brains that doesn't allow them to feel it. So. It's better for you if you just understand this in this discard phase and and move on. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive your store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business, Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or Shopify's POS Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bestlife, all lowercase. Go to Shopify dot com slash best life to take your retail business to the next level today shopify.com slash best life this episode is brought to you by visit williamsburg 
In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Coming up, more on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zone. Why do they hang around you in the first place? Well, they started off with that love bombing. Remember that. And you think that they started off with love bombing because they were so in love with you? Uh, 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 mm, mm. No, 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 no. No, that is not why they came around. They came around because they were looking for you to feed their ego. Are you struggling with a narcissist in your life? Whether it's a family member, a friend, a business partner, a soon-to-be ex, whoever it is, are you ready to shift that power dynamic, but you're just feeling like you cannot win, like everybody is believing their lies, and you're just feeling like there's just no way that you can shift that power dynamic. I've got a brand new masterclass for you. I'm sharing all my secrets, and so that you can finally take back your power and break free from this hell emotionally, physically, and spiritually. I've never done this free masterclass before. Go to Break Free From Hell and sign up. Come be with me and get my secrets so that you can finally take back your power and break free. Break free from hell and let's do this. Take a listen to our archive where you can listen to more episodes that show you the path to how to negotiate your best life. All of a sudden, when the case starts, he's a terrible parent. He beats the children. He does all of these things. When, Meanwhile, right up until the day that she filed the petition, they were sharing all the responsibilities for the child. But now here she is using the court system as her sword, weaponizing the court system to gain leverage over my client to show that she's the one in control, to show that she's the one with the power, to show that she's the one that can make him squirm. Because remember, narcissists need an endless amount of supply. And now we return to today's show. Top 10 things that narcissists say after they discard you. Number one. Number one, first thing that they do is that they say, my ex is crazy. My ex is crazy, right? All of them. This should be a red flag, by the way. This is something that they're going to say on the love bombing side to the next person, to their next source of supply. So if you are the next source of supply and you're listening to somebody talk, you know, you're sitting at the bar or you are at the baseball game or you are somewhere and you're listening to this person and they're like, oh my God, my ex is crazy. La, la, la. Some people, their ex actually is crazy. But for a lot of people, when you hear this, this should be like a little red flag to you. Maybe a narcissist that's talking because a lot of times you might find out 
that the ex isn't the one that's crazy. Maybe it's the one whose mouth is moving. You know, my ex is crazy. My ex is delusional. Maybe they made them crazy. Maybe they went crazy because of living with that person. Did you ever think about that? I mean, so think about that when you're dealing with them. One of the very first things that you might hear a narcissist say is my ex is crazy. They definitely say everyone else said or no one else said or everyone else believes me. No one else believed her or him. You know, when you start hearing superlatives like that too, that's also a big sign. But, you know, they definitely start talking in those kinds of terms. And, and by the way, as an attorney, I can tell you that before the word narcissist was ever around, it always was uh, the ex was crazy or controlling. Those were the words that we always heard. So ex is crazy, ex is controlling. Those are definitely trigger words. They should be red flag words for you to know that you may be dealing with a narcissist Top 10 things narcissists say after the discard. Number one, my ex is crazy. Number two is I tried. I gave them everything. I was perfect. I can't believe that, you know, they're talking about me like that. I was the model person. I was the picture perfect person who was taking care of everything. I handled it all. I took all of their abuse. I never talked back to them. I was always calm. I was always rational. I was the one who was the, the voice of reason they were the one who was the crazy person. I gave them everything. I took care of them. I poured my heart and soul into it. You know, so that's number two. I tried. I gave them everything. I was the one who did everything perfectly. In other words, they set it up to make it look like they were the martyr. They, they, there was nothing that they did wrong in that relationship. So anything that the ex might say about them is basically a lie. So if the ex says that they were abusive, if the ex says that they smoked pot, if the ex says that they were a liar, if the ex says that they were, you know, emotionally abusive in any way, whatever it is that the ex says, that's a lie. They were wonderful. They were a model of whatever a spouse should be. They and and gave it all. And the other spouse just didn't appreciate them, didn't appreciate, didn't acknowledge didn't, you know, understand all of those things. The next thing that a narcissist will say after they discard you is that you'll never find anybody as good as them. So they'll either say this to you directly or 
that they'll say this to other people or they certainly think it, you know, you'll never find anybody as good as me. You'll never have anybody love you as much as I did. You'll never have anybody be your biggest fan. I was always your biggest fan. You know, meanwhile, they were degrading you on a regular basis. They treated you horribly the entire time, putting you down. Oh, I supported every single thing you ever wanted to do. I was such a, you know, a fan of all of your endeavors. I really wanted you to succeed. And you're thinking, who was that? What? But they really do believe, uh, I think, their lies sometimes. But, you know, they'll never find anybody as good as me, never find anybody who loves you as much, you know, those kinds of things. That's number three. Top 10 things narcissists say after the discard. Number Four is that they'll say, I'm way happier now. Oh, it was just so horrible living with this person. I'm so much happier. I'm so much more at peace. I couldn't take it anymore living with this person. It was just a nightmare. But now I'm free, finally. I can't believe that I stayed as long as I did. And so much better off now without that person. You know, so you'll hear a narcissist say those kinds of things, especially if they hear you say those kinds of things, because they will mirror the kinds of things they hear you saying as well. So if they hear you saying things like, I'm much happier now. I am much more at peace. That person's a narcissist. They will definitely be saying those kinds of things as well. Number five is they will say, well, I would have stayed, but you changed. You're the one that changed. I didn't change. Unfortunately, I had to leave because you, you used to be better than you were, but you changed into a monster. You changed into a horrible person. It's all your fault. And so I had to leave because you changed. Had you not gotten so much worse, then I would have been able to stay. But because you got so much worse, I had to leave. Of course, you do see the theme here. You see the theme of not taking responsibility, projecting and deflecting, lying and denying, you know, of course not turning it inward, you know, and making sure that it's all on you. Number six is if you hadn't blank, fill in the blank, then I wouldn't have had to blank. So this is where we get into specific types of behaviors. So such as, you know, like if you hadn't stopped sleeping with me, then I wouldn't have had to cheat on you. If you hadn't gained weight, then I wouldn't have had to cheat on you. If you hadn't turned into such a 
a bitch, then I would have had to cheat on you. If you hadn't been working so much, then I wouldn't have had to cheat, you know, whatever. I mean, they will come up with whatever their agenda is to justify whatever behavior they want to justify. So, you know, if you wouldn't have shut off on me emotionally, then I wouldn't have had to do the things that I did. You know, I mean, so they will fit their agenda in however way they want to. So that's number six. Number seven is perhaps one of the most painful, and that is I never loved the person. In some ways, this is probably one of the most truthful, even though it's the most painful. Because, you know, with a, with a narcissist, you don't want to have to hear that they never loved you or, you know, that they never cared about you. But they probably did love you in their way. It's just that they don't have the capacity to love you in the way that you deserve to be loved or need to be loved or should be loved. And that's the truth because you deserve to have somebody who loves you for you, but you have to feel whole. You have to feel complete. You have to feel that self-love for yourself and know in your heart that you deserve that love. And, you know, what narcissists do is they zero in on people who have wounds that need to be healed. You know, people who know that they'll put, pour themselves completely into them before they'll, they give up themselves first, you know, so they put the narcissist before themselves and that's not necessarily a good thing. All right. So three more to go. Top three left. Can you guess what they're going to be? You got to stick around, to find out what they're going to be. Number eight. Number eight is they ruined me. They ruined me. So like if they don't have any money left and especially this one, because, you know, they probably didn't have any money to begin with, or, you know, maybe they have fired from a job or something. It's all their own fault, their own doing, but they love to play the victim and they love to blame everything on everybody else. So they'll blame it on you because it makes it easier, especially if they know that they they don't have to have accountability and they know that, you know, whoever it is that they're saying these things to, you know, they're hoping they're never going to come back to, you know, you and actually find out what the truth is. So they'll say, oh, that person ruined me. So, you know, they can smear you because, you know, and during this whole discard phase is the birth of the smear campaign. And so this is really what it is. They're just smearing you. It's a big fat smear. And number nine is they ruined my relationships. So if they don't have good relationships with their children or they don't have good relationships with their family or they don't have good relationships at work or their friends, they just blame it all on you. It's all a big, huge smear. So that's number nine. And number 10, can you guess what number 10 is? Top 10 things narcissists say after they discard you? Any other lie they need to come up with. Kind of a trick, but not really a trick because the bottom line is they'll lie about whatever they need to come up with. Okay, so 
let's go through the 10 signs that you are getting ready to be discarded by that narcissist. All right, number one. Number one is they start hanging out with what they perceive to be better supply. So remember that supply is anything that feeds that narcissist's ego. And people can be supply. People can, you know, feed their ego, make them feel good, you know, stroke them. You're so great. You know, for those of you who are Seinfeld fans out there, I know it's kind of an old show at this point. Maybe I'm dating myself. I don't know. But I watched a lot of Seinfeld back in the day. And there was this, you know, episode where they used to, you know, there was this guy who would like, tease Jerry about, you know, love me, love me, think I'm wonderful, whatever. And that's what I think of when I think of, you know, the narcissist. And so they start hanging out with this better supply. And this new form of supply is going to love them more, think they're better, or in their mind, be more prestigious, get them where they want to go, be higher on the food chain in their mind. So maybe it's, you know, younger, better looking, whatever it is, more money, who knows. But they start hanging out with better supply. That's number one. Number two is they start maybe ghosting you. That means they start not returning your phone calls, not returning your texts, not responding to you as quickly as they used to, not showing up when they're supposed to. You start seeing them less and less. They aren't you know, responding to you. They start ghosting you. That means that you know, you're not hearing back from them as frequently as you used to. That's number two. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small, When we carry them and we bottle them up, it can definitely affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get them off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. I know it's definitely been helpful for me in learning how to deal with past trauma and set boundaries and be the best version of myself. So if you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's super convenient because it's all online and flexible. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash negotiate today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, dot com slash negotiate. Number three is heightened gaslighting. That means that they are trying to make you think that you're crazy. So they're doing things to you and then they're acting like they're not doing things to you or they're saying things to you or doing things that they're not supposed to. And when you're calling them out on their behavior, they act like it's not happening. For example, 
they may say, oh, I'm going away this weekend or I'm doing something on this particular date. And you say, I didn't know about that. And they'll say, oh, yeah, absolutely. We had a conversation about that. We discussed that. And you think, we never discussed that. Oh, yeah, we had a whole conversation about that. And you think you're going crazy because you don't remember having that discussion. That's gaslighting. Or they'll try to say that a particular conversation included a conversation about something. They'll take a kernel of something that was you know, part of that conversation and they twist it around to be something that it wasn't. That's gaslighting. And you start to see more and more and more of that during the discard phase. So that happens. Okay, so that's number three. Number four, definitely the birth of the smear campaign. And by the way, this can be happening months and months and months before the actual discard. So they kind of start setting it up maybe a long time before. So for example, if you're in a romantic relationship, you know, marriage or something like that, And they want to kind of set it up that they're going to be accusing you of being, you know, an alcoholic or something like that. They may set it up where months before they'll say something to a neighbor like, geez, my wife or my husband had too much to drink last night at this party. I'm so concerned, so concerned for them. I'm just really concerned. They set it up as concern. And then when the actual divorce then happens months down the road, they can say, oh, see, you know, I I told you I had that concern so many months ago. And you see how they start to plant these seeds. They start to drop these little things down the road. So the birth of that smear campaign, they can start actually setting that up maybe months in advance. But if you do want to know more about how to shut down the narcissist smear campaign, I do have a whole video on this topic, which you can definitely check out if you'd like. Um, So that was number four. Number five is they start lining up their flying monkeys. So remember, their flying monkeys are those third parties that they want to have on their side because they definitely want to have all these people on their side so that they can say that everybody else thinks this, you're the only one who thinks that. They want you to think that they've got all these people on their side that believe them and that, you know, are these better life that they're going to have and everybody's with them and you're the out person and they're the in ones and they've got this crowd lined up against them. They have their army on their side. So that's definitely part of that discard phase as well, lining up their flying monkeys. Number six is that heightened, what I call projection and deflection and lying and denying. So, you know, they've been doing this throughout the entire relationship anyway, but you start to see it on steroids. So they're acting like they're narky selves, doing the things that they're doing, lying, denying, and then you're calling them out on their behavior. So it's projection and deflection, not taking responsibility for their actions. They're never to blame for anything. They're lying about everything. You know, you're trying to get them to take 
responsibility for things that they're doing, how they're treating you, or things that they're supposed to be doing and they're not, or things that they did do that they didn't, they weren't supposed to, whatever it is. And of course, there's never any responsibility taken on their part. So that's definitely something that you see. Number seven is when the actual discard happens, when they actually realize that you are no longer for them, they're no no longer for you, you're no longer going to be a source of supply for them, you will definitely become public enemy number one. Because remember, for a narcissist, you're either for them or against them. It's it's very black and white. They live in a black and white world. Once you're no longer for them, it's definitely you become somebody that they need to go after. Remember that it's not just about winning for them, that it's also about making you miserable. And there's a whole lot of things you need to be ready to slay them in negotiations, strategy, leverage, anticipating and focusing on you. I talk all about that in my slay methodology. All right. So that's number seven. Number eight is they start withholding more so than they normally do. Withholding, hiding, being secretive, not telling you things, maybe hiding money. You know, there's all kinds of things going on that you're not going to know about. So that's number eight. Number eight is withholding, hiding, secreting money or withholding secrets, not telling you things. There's just all kinds of things going on that you're not going to know about. That's number eight. Number nine is the blame game. It's your fault. Always your fault. Everything is your fault. No matter what happens, it's your fault. Even if they didn't provide the things that they were supposed to provide, they didn't do the things they were supposed to do, whatever happens, it's always your fault. Don't take that on. Don't allow that. Just put up a shield. Don't let them lay the guilt thing on you. It's a new game in town over here. Okay? No. The answer is no. You don't take that on. That's number nine. Number 10, really important. Everything you do or say can and will be used against you. This definitely happens during the discard phase. Be super careful. Be super careful about anything you write, anything you put your hand to, Anything you do or say, how you behave, whatever, it will definitely potentially be used against you, especially in negotiations. You have to be super hyper aware of that. They will try to trigger you. They will try to goad you. And so you have to be super careful about that. So those are the 10 signs that you may be being discarded by a narcissist. Super important, especially when you're going to negotiate with a narcissist. So by the end of this video, you're going to have seven reasons why narcissists are going to discard you. All right. So number one, Number one, you stop feeding their ego. So why do they hang around you in the first place? Well, they started off with that love bombing. Remember that. And you think that they started off with love bombing because they were so in love with you? Uh-uh-uh-uh-uh. No, 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 no. No, that is not why they came around. 
They came around because they were looking for you to feed their ego. They wanted you to feed their ego. And so, you know, they started off with this love bombing, then they start devaluing you because they were conditioning you. They were looking to see if you were going to be a good supply source for them. So everything they do, remember, everything they do is a manipulation. So they start ghosting you. You know, they want control. They don't have a good sense of self. They have a very, very fragile sense of self. Despite the way they act, you know, they might might act very strong. They might act very purposeful. They might seem very confident, but they actually have a very, very fragile sense of self, which is why in my practice, I see people in that massive discard phase. And so I see it firsthand all the time. And if you stop feeding their ego, then they have no purpose for you. Your only purpose is to feed that ego. And once you're no longer feeding that ego, they've got no use for you anymore. Okay, so that's number one. Number two is maybe they just became bored of you. They found a better supply source. So remember, narcissistic supply is anything that feeds their ego. And actually, a whole video called Narcissism 101, Narcissistic Supply, which actually explains what narcissistic supply is. And remember, there is a hierarchy of supply. There's like the best supply source, which is what I call diamond level supply or that highest level of supply, which is the prestige, the big house, the cars, the big job, kind of what you see, the window dressing. You know, it's what most people think of when they think of the good things, the compliments. Right. And then there's what I call like the dark underbelly of narcissistic supply, which is not what the narcissist necessarily shows everybody, but it still gives them supply. It also feeds their ego, which is treating people like crap, controlling them or devaluing them in some way. That also does give them supply. It also does feed their ego. But sometimes they just become bored of you. Sometimes they just might find other better supply sources. So sometimes they will discard you completely if they just find a a better supply source altogether. So that's number two. Number three is... You're no longer boosting their self esteem. Like there's no more adulation. You know, if you're not giving them the adulation that they wanted, or you're not fawning all over them the way they wanted, then they will move on. Because a lot of times, the reason why they were there in the first place is because you were fawning all over them and just saying, Oh, you're so wonderful. You're so great. You know, because remember, they are like, I say, like rats in a maze. I mean, they are motivated and incentivized by one thing and one thing only. That's that narcissistic supply. So it can come in a variety of sources. And so you will see a theme here in some ways, but. I am working my way up here to the best one here. The next one is that you lose your looks. 
So this is one that actually is kind of gross and sort of so fake and disgusting, but I have seen this definitely happen. I have seen, you know, they they are pretty fake people a lot of times. And so if they've been with you because you look a certain way, you know, I, I happen to practice law in an area where a lot of times it's, you know, these older guys with these younger women. I mean, I remember this guy telling me that when he first started at this private school, that he was like, wow, it's so crazy that there's so many grandfathers so involved in their grandchildren's education. And he didn't realize that it was, you know, these guys with like their third wives and their kids, you know. So, you know, sometimes if you lose your looks, then that could happen. So the next one is that you no longer can take care of them. Maybe you're sick, you're feeble, you're old, you no longer provide financing. They were with you because you were taking care of them in some way and you don't do that anymore you know because of whatever reason your value to them is the value that you're providing right so if the value that you were providing was that you were taking care of them in some way and you're no longer doing that then now it's gone So if you're taking care of them, whether it's financially or in some other way, and you're no longer doing that because you're too old or too sick or you lost your job or your income and whatever it was, and now you're you're not doing that anymore, well, then you're gone. So that's another one. Yeah, I know they're very fake. Next one is that they can't control you anymore. They realize that you've gotten too strong for them. And I've seen this happen a lot of times in divorces where one party, when they got married, didn't have a good sense of self. Maybe they didn't have good self-esteem. And so they allowed themselves to be controlled by the other person quite a bit. And then as time went on, they became much stronger and realized who they were and didn't really want to be controlled by the other person anymore, became stronger. And then the narcissist was like, I don't want you anymore. You're too strong for me. When they realize that you can't be controlled anymore, then they don't want to be with you anymore. So that's the next one. And the last one, this is really the best one because this is the one where for sure they will want to discard you, but it also is the most threatening to them. And this is the one where you can create the leverage. And this is the one where my slay methodology comes in, strategy, leverage, anticipate, and focus on you. This is the one where it's the most risky for them as well. And this is where you threaten to expose them. Because when you threaten to expose them, then they don't like that. They want to discard you, but they also find that very risky. So they want to get rid of you because 
now you're threatening to to expose them. But then on the other hand, they don't like that. So this is where their narcissistic rage might come flying out and things might get kind of hairy for you. So let's talk about the six things narcissists do at the end of a relationship. Well, remember, there are three phases to a narcissistic relationship. It is the love bombing, the devaluing, and the discarding. And remember, they kind of go back and forth between all three. I definitely have videos on all three phases of the narcissistic relationship, which you can check out if you'd like. But in the end of the relationship is when they really, you know, turn it on. That's when they start the smear campaign. And really, the smear campaign can start like if if they feel like it's happening, they'll start sort of seeding it along the way. You know, in other words, like they might say something, you know, six months before the relationship ended to a neighbor, like, oh, you know, so and so drank too much last night, and you know, I'm I'm so concerned about him or her, and and then you know, when the relationship does collapse, they'll be able to say. Oh, you know, so-and-so is an alcoholic. Remember I told you I was so concerned about that? So you see how they kind of plant these seeds along the way for the smear campaign. They're pretty good at that sort of thing. So even if they start to see that coming down the road, that they will start to, you know, that smear campaign early on. Because remember with narcissists, they live in a world that's very black and white. So it's it's very much, you know, a world of winners and losers. And I got all the friends and you didn't. And I got all the money and you got none of it. And the kids love me and they don't love you. It's gotta be all or nothing with them. And so they they want to set it up that they look good and you look bad. So number one is they immediately start lining up their flying monkeys. You know, that's part of their smear campaign. So right away, they've got to have these people that they feel like they can go to to start saying, you know, they're the victim. You, you know, they might even say that you were the narcissist, that you wronged them in some way that somehow that they should line themselves up with them and against you. So that's number one. They will start lining up their flying monkeys. They will start in on their smear campaign. They will start getting third parties involved to try to make you feel isolated, to try to make you feel like the world is against you, that everyone is believing their lies. That's number one. Number two is the money grab. A lot of times you will see them either cut off credit cards if they're the moneyed spouse and you're not. They might actually go in and take money out of an account. They might start moving money, hiding money, draining accounts, changing ownership, maybe signing ownership over to other people that sort of thing. And a lot of that can be accounted for, brought back into the marital estate, accounted for in the sense that, okay, that person already received that value. So therefore, the other person is going to receive equal value from a different asset. So sometimes it's not like the worst thing in the world that it happened, but they don't realize that. So they go in and they do these sorts of things. Usually if they do that sort of thing, it really reflects poorly on them. 
the judges don't like that. They don't like to see that that kind of behavior early on. So it can end up working against them. But that is something that you sometimes see them do. So number two is the money grab. Number three is making you the scapegoat. You know, making sure that everything gets blamed on you. You were the reason why it all went to hell. That the relationship failed. That maybe that they have that you have no money. That you know you have to sell the house. That whatever it is, the business is in the tank. The whole reason the whole thing uh, went to hell is because of you. All right, so that's number three. Number four is kind of takes you by surprise sometimes, but it's like last minute love bombing. What? Yeah, I know. Like, okay, all of a sudden they're back in your face, you know. Oh, remember how good we had it? Or, you know, we could always get along. Or they'll do anything to save the relationship. They will go to counseling, you know, when they said, oh, I'll never go to a shrink. That'll never happen. Oh, now all of a sudden they're being super nice and they're doing all the things that you wanted them to do in the first place. Last minute hustling to try to do things that they should have been doing all along or major future faking. You know, I'll change. Everything's going to be different from here on out. By the way, I have a whole video on future faking if you want to check that out. But, you know, that's another thing that they will do. So that's number four is last minute love bombing. Number five. Number five is the guilt trip. They're going to try to guilt trip you. Oh, you know, how are you doing this to them at this time? Oh, I I did so much for you. Or why are you doing this to me now when I'm sick or that this all this stuff is happening to me at work or in my business or my parents are sick or whatever it is like this is just not a good time or you're breaking up the family or if it's a business relationship you know oh you know you had a great thing going and you're just about to hit pay dirt. It's just about to pop. It's just about to explode. And why are you doing this now? So ungrateful for all the things that they've done, you know, things like that. So, you know, the guilt trip. Coverts are especially, they love the guilt trip. Coverts love guilt trips. They love gaslighting. They love passive aggressive moves. They're such cowards, such cowards. But you know, that's what one of the things that they love as well is to guilt trip you. All right, that's number five. And you ready for number six? This is the last one. And again, not an all-encompassing list, but a lot of the things to, you know, that you can expect from them when the relationship goes south. You know that it's probably been going south almost since it started, right? But Anyway, next is they will flood you with emails or demands or texts, or they'll show up at your house, or they will like push themselves on you, push an agreement on you, push themselves, whatever their demands are. You don't need a lawyer. They're going to try to say that you're. Your lawyer is horrible, that your lawyer just wants money, that 
they're not for you, that they have too much work or whatever it is, they're going to try to get between you and your lawyer because your lawyer potentially is now going to have control over you instead of them. So they definitely want to badmouth your lawyer, but they're going to badmouth anybody that they think is going to have control over you other than them. So they're going to really be like flooding you and pushing themselves on you in such a way so that you don't have a chance to breathe. You don't have a chance to think. They're going to make you think that somehow maybe you can work it out, that you don't need money you know, to spend money on lawyers, that, that you're being ridiculous or you're being too rigid and you don't want to be rigid. So you know they try to goad you into things. So that's the last one is just flooding you, lighting you up, trying to like basically envelop you so that you can't breathe and move. Don't fall for it. Once you see these signs, you're going to know, I've seen you. No, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not falling for that. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung. Tune in next week for another edition of Negotiate Your Best Life. Remember, if you want more ways to slay and you want more ways to be supported, you can always join my membership at joinslay.com forward slash slay. You can always subscribe to my YouTube channel and you can always grab my free Crush My Negotiation prep worksheet at winmynegotiation.com. Remember that today is a great day to start negotiating your best life. And I will definitely catch you in the next episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Slayers, I'm here to tell you about a new podcast I'm excited about, Creating Confidence, hosted by Heather Monahan, a part of the Yap Media Network. Heather sits down with experts like Gary Vee, Sarah Blakely, and Les Brown to share with you techniques and strategies to create your confidence, pursue your dreams, and leapfrog villains you'll meet along the way. Creating confidence is about elevating your confidence to the highest level ever and take your business right there with you. Don't believe me? I'm going to share some of the amazing reviews that I've seen on Apple. Here's one. Heather has the perfect gems of wisdom that not only inspire you, but motivate you into action. I recommend it to anyone who wants to elevate their reach and go to that next level. How about that? That's amazing. Here's another one. Heather is so inspiring and each episode is filled with tips and tricks on how to become more confident and live the life of your dreams. So if you are looking to level up your confidence, check out Creating Confidence now. Subscribe to Creating Confidence with Heather Monahan today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is.